Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. John, my man, you've been tweeting about it. We're kind of in the golden age of Saints football, and I couldn't agree more. I'm not sure there's another team in the league that could have their starting quarterback get knocked out. They bring in the backup. you got all kinds of other injuries going on, and you still just continue to go out there and turn out wins against division rivals in a tight playoff race. I just think it kind of says all you need to know about Sean Payton, the program, the players the Saints have. It's just uh, I try to come on here and find something critical, you know, like you try to watch the games with a critical lie and kind of go after the team for this or that and i just got nothing i got nothing for you john it's just all good in saints country man wouldn't you say yeah it's a machine they're rolling you know it hasn't mattered who, who's that quarterback who's that receiver uh john dayton has found a way to win week after week after week and really put himself right in the thick of that coach of the year race or, or at least he should have yeah i'm glad you said that do you think he is the coach of the year right now is it hands down it is to me because i mean we how many other coaches have won eight games in the last calendar year with a backup quarterback? Uh, Mike Tomlin did not do that last year without Ben Roethlisberger, but Sean Payton has found a way to do it without Drew Brees. Tomlin, he, he rightfully does get a lot of love for what he's built there in Pittsburgh, and I, I do think he, he's a terrific coach, probably top three, top four coach in the NFL these days. What Peyton is accomplishing, not just this year, but last year, too, I mean, it's, just, it's incredible. I mean, if, if the NFL can give Matt Nagy a, a, a sympathy uh, Coach of the Year award a couple of years back for t- taking Mitch uh, Trubisky to the playoffs, and I think Sean Peyton definitely deserves some recognition for what he's done with Taysom Hill here in, in this three-game stretch. I also wanted to ask you about Dennis Allen. Because this is a guy that we haven't talked a ton about this year yet. He's just having a hell of a year. I don't think he's going to be with the Saints long unless they lock him in a closet and don't let him go talk to other teams, right? Because if teams need a head coach, I think Dennis Allen is going to be on the short list for a lot of teams. I'd be stunned if he's not a head coach next year. What do you think about him, his prospects of probably moving on next year, and just what he's doing on the defensive side of the football? Number one that stands out, Julio Jones again. I mean, it doesn't matter if you come in here with a big-name stud receiver. The Saints shut you down. It doesn't matter if you come in with a big-name you know, big running back. The Saints shut you down. They don't give up points. There's speed all over the place out there. It's just it's just incredible what they're doing on defense. The Taysom Hill stuff and all that, it kind of like lets the defense run around in the shadows, but they shouldn't be overshadowed because Dennis Allen's killing it, and the defense is unbelievable. Uh, so just that side of the football, but maybe the defensive coordinator in particular. John, what impresses you most? Man, just the adjustments that he's made. You know, we, we've seen this pattern of the Saints starting out kind of slow on defense over the past couple of years. Uh, in each season. And then after about weeks four, maybe five, if they get that early bye week, that's whenever Dennis Allen does a really great job of self-scouting, evaluating his players, understanding what they can do, what they can't, and that's whenever he gets in his bag. And that's when he gets busy, and that's when the Saints will really begin to hit their stride. And we're seeing that this year where – you know, they have so many of these veteran players who they're all on the same page now. You've got Malcolm Jenkins, Demario Davis, uh, Quan Alexander, and Janoris Jenkins are kind of getting in, in, in the mix so with some injuries and still picking up some of the personnel packages. But, you know, just Dennis Allen's ability to understand what his players can do, what they can't do, uh, it's translating so well. And he, he's putting them in such great positions to win. Um, and they are winning. I mean, this, they've, they've allowed two touchdowns in their last five games. And that is it's just phenomenal. I mean, that, that doesn't happen. 
Now, I know that they've played some bad quarterbacks. You know, the Broncos receiver was in a tight spot. They played other bad quarterbacks with Tom Brady and Matt Ryan twice in that stretch. Um, so, <laughs> How dare you, John? How dare you? <laughs> hey, 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 scoreboard. Man. Go on. Go um, on. I, I do think that another head coaching job is definitely on Dennis Allen's radar. Speaking of Demario Davis, he was on the, the Huddle and Flow podcast uh, last week, and he talked about these meetings that the Saints have and how Dennis Allen reflects so often on what he did wrong as the uh, Raiders coach back in the day in, in, his, in his first stint and what he would do differently and how, what he's learned over the almost decade since. I think he, he's very, very eager to put his name out there when the next hiring cycle kicks off in, in a few weeks. And he's someone that I I would anticipate get, getting lots of attention. He interviewed for a few jobs last year, and I think panned out. But, you know, you just look at the consistent success the Saints have had over the last few years, the system he's built. I don't think he's long for New Orleans at this point. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I think he's. I think he's going to end up as a head coach again. What do you know about him? Is he like ballsy enough to go after like the Atlanta job and go in the division and and go up against Sean Payton and do that thing, or maybe he goes over to Chicago, which already has a really good D. Like, where would be a good fit for him? You think this is kind of off the wall, but I'm really curious to see who ends up in Houston and who ends up, you know, landing that jackpot ticket with Deshaun Watson. Because I mean, look at what. Ex Falcons uh, general manager Thomas Dimitrov said after they got Matt Ryan, he said that that was the number one issue on his mind when he took, when he first took that job in Atlanta was finding that quarterback, find because it just consumes you and it's the most important position in football. It's the most important position on the team. The Texans have that. If Dennis Allen can get in there and get JJ Watt in a position to win, get his linebackers uh, Whitney Merciless. Uh, Bernard McKinney in positions to win. If he can figure out the, the, the secondary and just compete in this in that first year with Deshaun Watson kind of handling the offense, and you know, it doesn't matter who they put in there. Deshaun Watson is going to put points on the board. If, if DA can get in there, install his system in 2021, and then go into 2022 with all the resources that that team needs to add pieces around Watson, I think that could be a great fit because the AFC South is not the is not the strongest division in football right now, and I know that the Jaguars' opening is getting a lot of attention just because of all the resources they have as far as salary cap space, draft picks, uh, but they don't have a quarterback, and Houston does, and I really think that's going to intrigue someone like Dennis Allen, who you know didn't really have a quarterback when he took the Raiders' job back in the day. The Saints sweep the Falcons twenty one sixteen. They've clinched a playoff berth, John. Thanks to the Bears' loss to the Lions. For all the Taysom Hill can't throw haters out there, everyone calling him the, the next Tim Tebow, whatever, Tim, Tim Tebow 2.0, whatever. Bad day for them, right? Because Taysom Hill showed some things against those Falcons this past weekend. Well, I want to get John's take on that. We'll do that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. And Corey Benini at TheHuddle.com welcoming you to week 14 of the fantasy football season. If you're still listening, that means you're likely in the playoffs. Let's talk strong plays to help get you into week 15 action. This one isn't for the faint of heart. Jaguars quarterback Mike Glennon faces the Tennessee Titans. Only four teams have been easier to exploit, and six different quarterbacks have gone for at least 23 fantasy points versus Tennessee, including nearly 31 points from Gardner Minshew back in week two. If you squeaked into the playoffs and are truly desperate, Glennon 
Lennon is a Hail Mary option. New York Jets running back Ty Johnson at the Seattle Seahawks. This is one you'll have to watch from an injury perspective because Frank Gore left last week with a concussion. It's hard to see the Jets turning away from Johnson after the spark he gave this offense last week. While Seattle's defense has been easily exploited through the air this season, the ground game is catching up. Last week we saw New York Giants running backs Wayne Goldman and Alfred Morris demonstrate this with some smash mouth football of their own. Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro versus the Indianapolis Colts. On paper, the matchup isn't appealing, but we saw last week Houston's Kiki Kuti went for 141 yards on eight receptions, and the Colts have been pleased to give up underneath work to wide receivers if it means they don't let guys like Nelson Aguilar or Henry Ruggs uncork a long one over the top. As we've seen throughout 2020, Renfro isn't involved very much unless the team is playing from behind. In that case, volume is what gives them a chance to matter against Indianapolis. Another recommendation that's worth trying, but requires gamers to pay attention to the injury report, Anthony Ferkser of the Tennessee Titans. Starting tight end John Smith has a knee injury and missed week 13. It's unclear if he'll play at this time in week 14, and if not, Ferkser belongs in lineups. He landed 5 of 7 looks last week for 51 yards, and that line would have been better if backup tight end McCall Pruitt didn't steal a touchdown from him. Everybody loves that on the verge of the fantasy football playoffs. Jacksonville has given up 9 touchdowns in 12 games to the position, and more impressively, that has come at a clip of 1 every 5 catches. For that alone, Ferkser is a gamble in all leagues if you're looking for a tight end. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. So my favorite part about Taysom's game in this one, John, was just how he kind of made it a point to be like, yo, I can throw. I can throw. I'm going to show it. I'm going to throw some touchdown passes in this one. I'm going to hit guys on third and long. He kind of showed the whole thing. He looked comfortable. The ball came out of his hands. It looked good. And I think for all the Taysom haters, like I said, tough day for them, wasn't it? It was. It was a tough scene on a pro football talk this morning. Mike Florio <laughs> having to eat some crow. Oh, did, he, did he though? Um, I didn't know, see he, that. Yeah, well, well, he's he's punting to the playoffs now. He's saying sure. he's um, okay. You know, a few weeks a few weeks back, he forecast saying, uh, "Well, I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to Sean Payton uh, ha- having to get up for his press conference after he loses to a Falcons team that he should have beaten, and that didn't happen. So now he's pivoting to, uh, well, we'll see how they look when the Packers knock them out in the playoffs because the Green Bay Packers had so much playoff success <laughs> yeah, in recent years, but. Anyway, anyway, he's chasing his tail around, and yeah, I mean, it, it was the best passing game for Taysom Hill that we've seen so far. He looked very assertive in the pocket. He he was, uh, gosh, just rifling the ball there. Uh, made made a lot of very difficult throws. It was very impressive, and it was exactly what you would hope and want to see out of him. It's certainly something he can build up. He can build upon if he remains a starter in the next week or two, depending on uh, Drew Brees returning. This is very encouraging all around. There were some flaws. Ball security is a huge problem for Taysom Hill. Yep. Uh, he ranks among the NFL leaders in, in fumbles this year. Even though he's only had three starts, he, he's got to hammer that home. And that's something Sean Payton acknowledged today uh, in the press conference this morning, where, where you know he, he said he, he made it very clear that's not something Taysom can can clean up. Then he's not going to be in position to lead the Saints. Uh, it has to change. Peyton joked about it on Twitter, too. A, a fan tweeted at him saying, hey, work on this. And, John, and Peyton responded, hey, you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if Taysom can just cut down on these fumbles, we can protect the football a little bit better. I think he'll be in a really great spot. And playing as well as he did from the pocket against this Falcons team that had already lost to him once, that had plenty of game tape to study and, and build off of and plan for, 
I think I think that's very encouraging for Taysom Hill and the Saints. Yeah, it sounds like Drew Brees is coming back soon. I don't know if it'll be this week, but maybe against the Chiefs. We'll see. We can talk about that here in a minute. It's so, it's so invaluable, right, John, for Taysom to get out here and get these games, and you can already see him improving. And if he really is the long-term answer, and it sounds like he is, and, and, and all signs point that way for whenever Drew Brees does retire, it's going to be Taysom Hill's team. How many teams can be in the thick of a playoff hunt and get this and start grooming the next guy you know, during a playoff and Super Bowl run. It's just like unbelievable. And, and that's exactly what the Saints are doing. So I think that's just a really fascinating uh, storyline. And again, it speaks to the Saints program that they continue to churn out wins with Taysom Hill kind of figuring it out as a starting quarterback. It's just, it's kind of cool, but kind of all eyes are on Drew Brees now. And I think I would be stunned, John, if Brees was ready to go against these Eagles, which are really just, the Eagles are just floundering. And it looks like we might see Jalen Hurts this week. Might not even see Carson Wentz, which I think you were bummed about on Twitter. <laughs> a little bit. You know, uh, I hate to see it to Jalen because I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan. Uh, pre-draft this year, um, he's someone I wanted the Saints to start. Oh, uh, so you don't want to root against him. They're in the him. early rounds. You know, my argument at the time was, hey, he can run like Taysom and he can actually throw too. Um, so, <laughs> so, Walk that one back now. <laughs> so, um, maybe a little bit. Let's cut that in post. Uh, <laughs> but... You know, to his credit, Taysom has shown a lot of growth as a passer. And to Jalen Hurts' credit, he gave the Eagles a spark there when he came in uh, to to relieve Wentz against the Packers. And it wasn't enough to steal a win. Uh, but the team did rally around him a little bit down the stretch. I don't know that he's got enough weapons to really threaten the Saints in this matchup. But he is someone that's going to be difficult to prepare for just because there's so little tape of it. I mean, you got a quarter and a half of uh, NFL football out of Jalen Hurts. And it's kind of the same position the Saints opponents had been in when Taysom was first named starter, where you have a very small frame of reference. You really don't know what to expect. It'll be an interesting matchup. And I was hoping to see Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz is a very bad quarterback this year. <laughs> uh, he's committed a ton of turnovers. Yes. He's taken a ton of sacks. This was an awesome opportunity for the Saints defense to really pad their staff, and now they're not going to get that. But, you know, we'll make the best of it. Uh, just hope everybody, uh, I, I hope they can seal this win up early, uh, get, get out of town healthy, and really begin to buckle down and prepare for Andy Reid and, and the Kansas City Chiefs because they are going to hit the Saints with their best shot. Yeah, Sean Payton on the Drew Brees thing, he said, you know, we're not really going to give out a timetable. We'll see. He's like every other guy. We're going to see how he comes back from the injury, and then we'll we'll evaluate it there. I mean, what's your just your gut feeling on Brees? Breeze, John, do you think they bring him back for the Eagles game? You think they say they're targeting that KC game as we've been kind of assuming all along? Yeah, I think that Breeze is going to push to come back this week just because he is such a competitor and he wants to be playing football. He does not want to be warming up without his pads on Sunday morning. He, he does not want to be on the sidelines. He, he wants to be taking the practice reps. He wants to be involved. And I think he's going to make every effort he can to really make an argument that he should be in the in the game for this matchup. I don't know that the Saints are going to allow him to do that. You know, it's been reported that this was the early return date or the early goal for him to, to return. And this is when he would first be eligible uh, for the, the adjusted rules to the uh, injured reserve list this year due, due to COVID. But just because he can doesn't mean he should. And the Saints have won enough games with Taysom at quarterback that I think this is a great opportunity for them to just to round it out, get, get them one more start, make sure that Breeze is fully recovered, and then just get, get loaded for bear before the Chiefs come to town. So I would not anticipate Breeze coming back, but I do think he's going to make every effort he can 
to get into this football game. Yeah, John, text uh, Drew Brees. Tell him, wait one more week because my fantasy team needs Taysom Hill just one more week. I want to squeeze one more out of Taysom uh, going into the playoffs. Yeah, you're in the playoffs now, yeah, too. So yeah, so it's a, a, it's a, a very, very high-leverage situation. Yeah, yes, and, and I had Joe Burrow. He got hurt. I was able to scoop up Taysom. It's been a good thing, and now I don't I don't want to have to deal with the next thing. So just we got to keep Taysom going for my, for my sake. But nobody wants to hear about my fantasy team. What we do want to hear about is an old friend, an old Saints friend, is in the news. So let's talk about that on the other side. We'll be right back. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 14 Sunday Night Football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Buffalo Bills. The Bills return home as two-and-a-half-point favorites against the Steelers, who come off their first loss of the season, losing 23-17 to the Washington football team Monday night. Jeff, do the Steelers get back on track, or are the Bills now contenders to win the AFC? Nope. I like the Bills here to win by more than a field goal. Head coach Sean McDermott is a defensive guru, and the Steelers have become a one-dimensional offense over the past couple weeks. Also, they looked kind of weak against Alex Smith in that Washington passing attack, which is not nearly as explosive as Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Again, I like the Bills minus two and a half here. I'm going to get back on the Steelers. This is a get-right game for them. James Conner expected back from the COVID list. That's huge. That makes them two-dimensional once again. Gives them that rushing attack they've sorely missed. And there's just way too many weapons in that passing game. Give me the Steelers plus 2.5. They may even win this one outright. Back the Steelers to win on the road in Buffalo. Yes, John. Former friend Greg Williams is now without a job once again. He's He has been fired by the New York Jets, and I want to get your take on this. I think he's the scapegoat because the Jets, as we all know, I'm sure everyone knows, anyone who was not trapped under a rock, anyone who had a TV on on Sunday, knows what the Jets pulled at the end of that ballgame against the Las Vegas Raiders, and it was embarrassing. The Jets, on one of those plays where you put all your guys back at the five-yard line and just keep them in bounds and don't let them score a touchdown, Greg Williams blitzes the house leaves Henry Ruggs, the speedster on the outside, one-on-one with an undrafted rookie, and Ruggs just blows right by him for the game-winning score. There's no one behind, no help. They rush eight guys at car, and no, nobody even gets a pressure on him, according to uh, the advanced statistics there, John. It was just a baffling call. So the Jets just completely tanked that game away. I don't even want to call it a conspiracy theory. I think it's actually, that's actually what happened. And I think the Jets were feeling the heat, and they made Greg Williams the scapegoat and fired him. I think they're all in on it. Maybe not the players, but I think the coaches, the ownership, they're all in on it. And they decided to let Greg Williams go and make him the scapegoat. But what do you think about that whole scene over there in New York and what's going on with that team? That is just unbelievable. Oh, so just right off the bat, uh, it was it was you, Ryan O'Leary, describing Greg, Greg Williams as an old friend of the Saints. So not me, not, not John Sigler, uh, damaging editor of Saints Wire. That was not me saying this. Uh, my my apologies, uh, who that don't, 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't bust any windows in my car, any upset Saints fans. Uh, don't, don't come after me. I'm not the one who's saying that. Uh, I'm out here in the freezing cold <laughs> um, in New England. You, you won't be able to find me. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, so Greg really 
gray excuse me you got to roll the extra g's on that um he really wore out his welcome in new orleans with the way that he was coaching this team uh his this defense late in his tenure um the last game he coached for the saints was and any saints fans listening i understand if, if you check out at this point was that 2011 divisional round loss to the san francisco 49ers and in that game greg williams made the exact same call he made against the raiders here where he ends the game with an all-out blitz leaving Gosh, here we go. Leaving 49ers tight end Vernon Davis streaking down the sideline uncovered. And after the game, after the game, the 49ers players, uh, Vernon Davis himself said, hey, we knew this would be the right call because we knew what Greg was going to do. We knew where, where where the safety over the top, Roland Harper, was going to be. Alex Smith knew where to put the ball. I knew where to run. And we just took advantage of it because Greg's so predictable that we knew what was going to happen here. The Raiders said the exact same thing. Henry Ruggs said that word for word yep. just about in his postgame press conference. Derek Carr said the same thing. John Gruden said the same thing. I said this on Twitter earlier with, with a good friend in the conversation we, we were having. The next trend-breaking play that Greg Williams calls will be the first that he's ever called. The guy is every definition of a dinosaur. Um, he, he, he hasn't changed his scheme in any of the previous stops he's been, he's been in, not with the Jets who are going 0-16 because of him, not with the Browns who went 0-16 because of him, um, not with the Titans who never had a winning season with him. He's a bad coach. The Saints won games in spite of him. They won a Super Bowl in spite of him, which should really do a lot to build Drew Brees' uh, uh, Hall of Fame credibility. And it, it's Gosh, it's, man, I get fired up real easy talking about Greg Williams, <laughs> if, that, if that's unclear. Um, no, I, I love it. it. It's, it's not enough that, that he calls to say it's the Super Bowl in 2011, because if they would have just got one stop, they would have stopped Vernon Davis on that play. If they would have stopped Alex Smith on the bootleg run a few plays earlier, uh, they would have stopped the New York, New York football Giants again, because they had already beaten that team in the NFC championship game, and then they would have gone to run Don Brady's Patriots off the field of the Super Bowl. But it didn't happen because Greg Williams is a bad coach who has endured this long for reasons unknown. He's just got no idea of how to adapt his scheme to his players. The the guy he had covering Henry Ruggs, this Olympic-level athlete, was an undrafted rookie cornerback that the Jets cut at the beginning of the year and had to bring back after injuries. Um, That's the guy that he's putting in single-band coverage over – a 4-2 receiver who was the best guy that I had to offer this year. It's, it's just a, a foolish decision, and it's, you know, that, that that's Greg. That's what he does. It's bad enough that he cost the Saints the Super Bowl. It's bad enough that he's been re- responsible for multiple 0-16 to be seasons, and then you get into the Bounty Gate stuff that he's also responsible for and that he, you know, may have sold the Saints out to get a job in the NFL again. Uh, but, you know, gosh, I I really hope this is it. I'm, I'm tired of Greg Williams being in the NFL. I'm tired of him being in the orbit of my life, of the Saints and football at large. But hopefully this is it. Maybe he can retire to a golf course somewhere with Aaron Brooks. I had to subscribe to the conspiracy theories because, okay, so if you send all-out pressure on the first time and you see the wide receiver go wide open down the middle of the field, Aguilar, you don't do it on the second call, right? You just you can't. You can't do that. So I just, it was so idiotic, so stupid that I just could not believe that Greg Williams would actually call that play and think that it was right. But now hearing your story about how stupid he really is and how bad of a coach he really is, and you bring up some amazing points, maybe the Jets actually did fire him because he thought he was calling the right call. Oh my God, that actually might help me sleep at night though, if that's the real reason, because the Jets, <laughs> I hate the well, Jets with a passion. Just, I think I hate the Jets like you hate Greg Williams, John. So if the Jets are losing on purpose so, and doing so, that thing, that makes it hard for me to sleep at night. 
but maybe Greg Williams is just that much of an idiot. So now, now I can sleep at night. It, it could be. I mean, uh, NFL Network's Michael Silver had a good report earlier where he said that Adam Gates almost broke his neck uh, turning around to see what was going on whenever he heard Greg Williams uh, order a cover zero on, on, in that situation. Uh, they're on the Jets' sideline. I forget the Jets' linebacker who had the, the green dot, the radio, and his, and his helmet on the field had the opportunity to check out of that, but he didn't want to go against his, his defensive coordinator and check into a more appropriate um, defense after he saw the, Ra- the Raiders adjust to it. I really think it was just simple uh, negligence, malpractice there by, by Greg Williams, which, you know, unfortunately is very on brand for him. Um, he, he's not a very detail-oriented guy. Uh, he, he, here's an anecdote for you. So I'm at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with Hugh Jackson's Browns running it. Greg Williams, is, he's putting his, his team's uh, linebacker prospects through a hoop drill where, the, where they're running running clockwise around the hoop, um, right hand on the ground, left hand in the air. They're at the swan of the football after they make the circuit. Future Saints linebacker Alex Anzalone is going through the drill, and right before he starts, he asks Greg, he says, hey, hey, when I come out, should I swap the, the football with my left hand or my right? And Greg starts cussing him and, and, and just, just yelling at him and calling him an idiot and all this. And says, I don't care what hand you use, just hit the football. And it's like, it's like what Greg, what, what, are, what, are we, what are we here for, man? Like, and it's just quintessential Greg Williams. I mean, yeah. he, he's a loud mouth who, you know, has, has somehow talked his way into a couple of jobs. And I'm really curious to see how, how, how many uh, NFL owners personally call him to offer head coaching positions after this season, uh, which is what he turned down to get, to get the F job to hear him tell it. Here's hoping that we've seen enough of this guy because uh, he's just, he's awful. Maybe the Jets were a perfect marriage for him, but after seeing that, the ending of that game, and I had it on my TV when it happened, and I just... I still am so just, I can't, I'm still in disbelief that that happened. It was just unbelievable. Just an embarrassing, embarrassing thing. The, the Raiders should not have won that game. And that's just what bothers me about it. But real quick, Hurts, Hill. If that's the matchup, I kind of like it. I think that adds some like amazing intrigue, John. I really do. But Saints already favored by seven going into this game. It kind of just shows you the state of the Eagles. I think the only thing I'm really concerned about with the Eagles is their defensive line, right? They can get after the passer a little bit. They actually did that to Green Bay a little. Is that their, uh, their most dangerous weapon, you think? I think so, and especially the interior of their line. Um, you know, they got they got uh, he, he man uh, Fletcher Cox there there in the middle, uh, Mississippi State legend uh, Fletcher Cox, and he, he's someone who can re- take over uh, football games. I mean, th- there's a great reason that he's the one who's getting highlighted in this uh, this Chris Collins were pro football focused Sunday night football advertisement we're seeing every every, every Sunday. And Cox, I mean, he, he's a great matchup for the, this. Interior Saints line that that's frankly been kind of a weak a weakness a weak link in, in the offense. You got Andrews Pete who has been up and down as as usual. You've got a rotation at right guard because uh, Cesar Ruiz has not been able to win that starting job. Um, and you got Nick Easton who has you know kind of, kind of been run out of a couple of different teams over the years and who was signed to the Saints to be a backup. I mean he was not supposed to be starting this year, but because Ruiz hasn't been able to outperform him, the Saints they've, they've not been able to have a consistent starting five week in, week out. And if that's where we're headed for this Eagles game, if Ron Armstead is not ready to return at left tackle, if Andrews Pete is going to be uh, stuck at left guard against Fletcher Cox, if we've got a rotation at right guard, uh, we've got Eric McCoy doing too much, trying trying to keep everybody in line, it, it, could, get, it could get ugly. And I do think that's a possibility. Um, that matchup was kind of the story of the Saints' playoff loss to the Vikings uh, back in January was, you know, their guards, Andrews Pete and 
uh, Larry Warford were not able to match up against Everson Griffin and the interior line for, for the Vikings, and they lost that game. Same, they, they cut Warford, they drafted Ruiz in an effort to improve that, but they're right back where they started, except now they don't have a three-time Pro Bowler at right guard. They've got a rookie and a journeyman backup uh, splitting reps. So I think there's an opportunity there for the Eagles to get, get an edge. I don't know that it can make up for everything else because I cannot name a single linebacker, safety, or corner for the Eagles right now. And I think that if the Saints can manage the damage in the middle, I think I think they'll be okay. Yeah, you're not alone. There's a lot of players in that Eagles starting lineup, John, that nobody can uh, name, especially on the uh, the guys catching the football. So yeah, kind of like I think <laughs> yeah. overall I like the Saints' chances, but that's that's an area to watch. I think that's the strength of the Eagles, no doubt. So. John, I always appreciate our talks, but I really did I really did enjoy the Greg Williams chat. I, I did enjoy those stories there this week. So I'm excited to listen to that one back. That was that was some good eating right there. Thanks, man. I'm I'm happy to slander Greg Williams anytime we need to. <laughs> Join us next week on the Saints Wire Podcast. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.